How's everyone doing today? I love being in Elevate. I feel like I'm coming home, which is good. Don't tell Newspring that. <laughs> um, I've, I've been really praying and, and thinking about Elevate Church this weekend. Um, um, just have this just, just love for you guys, which is just amazing. And I really feel God put a message on my heart, which Newspring has never heard. And um, they may never hear it, I don't know. <laughs> this, this could just be an Elevate message, but um, I, I was just thinking about this church and the journey and, and everything, and just even just knowing some individuals here, and um, just really felt God just press upon my heart, just a message, um, which is from the book of Ruth, and um, I don't normally, don't normally go to Ruth, but um, just gone to Ruth and, and studying. So we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2. Um, the title of this message, and you're going to get... Um, what this message is about, is called The Hinge That Opens Doors. The Hinge That Opens Doors. And I'm really praying and I'm feeling that the Holy Spirit this morning wants to just come and oil some hinges in our lives. And there's a lot of us here in this room and we've been journeying with the Lord for a long time and, and we've been um, keep on keeping on. And um, sometimes you can look around your court, over your shoulder and you can see things happening and in other places Yet, I do believe that there are some things which are going to open up in your life um, as a church, but also as individuals who follow Jesus and who loves Jesus. Anyone love Jesus here? I mean, I love him with all my heart. So, um, um, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2. I do need to just briefly um, um, go through chapter 1, then we're going to read um, a couple of verses from chapter 2, and then I'm going to pray and then we're going to launch into it. Are you going to be okay with that? Yeah. All right. Are you guys like a, um, a quiet church or a noisy church? You're feisty. You're in Belmont, so you're going to need to be feisty in order to break the kingdom of God in this place. You know what I'm saying? This is, not, this is one of those privileged areas, like Armadale, like Belmont, is that we actually get here and uh, to see the kingdom of God breaking in and breaking forth into the lives of, of neighbors, of schools, of people, it's going to take a feisty church. It's going to take a church who loves Jesus with all their heart, who believes and loves people with all their heart, and is not intimidated by the things which are outside of these, I was going to say these four walls, but it's like, it's, a, it's an odd building. <laughs> but it's actually going to take that. Ruth's one of those great um, books of the Bible. It's, um, it starts off, there's famine in the land. It starts off in Bethlehem, there's famine in the land. It says, it's in the time of the judges. If you know anything about the book of Judges, it means God's people are all over the place, all over the shop. Pretty much like in 2019, God's people are all over the shop. Um, time of the judges. There's this guy called Elimelech. Elimelech. Can never, I was practicing that word, and I still can't say it. He takes his wife Naomi and two sons to a foreign land called Moab. Um, in the foreign land, uh, Elimelech dies. So Naomi's left with two sons. Two sons marry. And they marry um, these foreign women. One's named Ruth and the other one is named Orpah. And um, after that, Naomi's two sons die. This is really, really sad story so far. Leaving Naomi and the two daughter-in-laws. News finds its way to Naomi that the famine's actually lifted from Bethlehem. So she decides she wants to go back home. And she tries to persuade her daughters-in-law to actually stay in Moab because in Moab they have a future. They have um, the possibility of getting remarried and all that. And she knows that foreign women coming back to Bethlehem is going to be very difficult for them. So Orpah actually returns. But Ruth um, cannot be persuaded. She says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. That's chapter one. And um, we're going to read um, the second act, which is um, the first 13 verses of Ruth chapter 2. The scripture is going to be on the screen. Um, but for this kind of message, 
Uh, feel free to sit with an open heart and allow God to actually speak what he needs to speak into your life. You guys have podcasts. If you need to go over some stuff, get the podcast, go back over it. But in this moment, allow God to speak and do whatever he needs to do. So we're going to read from verse 1 of Ruth chapter 2. Naomi, now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone who, whose eyes I find favor. Now, Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field behind, um, belonging to Boaz who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather, and, and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And wherever you are whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about you, what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you, do, you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you in the name of Jesus. We open up this place, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak anything and everything that you want to speak. Father, I ask that you would come and bring your refreshing upon every person here, that, that scripture will come and make us alive. I ask that. You would do what only you can do, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would oil some hinges in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. I love the book of Ruth. If you know your Bible and our canon of Scripture, it's taken eight books to get to Ruth. This is in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And I'm glad that um, this little book of Ruth has kind of finally come on the scene because if Ruth didn't come on the scene, I would have possibly thought that I needed to be larger than life. I had to be this kind of superhero for God, number one, to take notice of me, and number two, to actually engraft me into his story and actually push forward his story. Because the story starts with like this big giant, Father Abraham. You know, Father Abraham had many sons, didn't he? And many sons did have Father Abraham. I mean, I am one of them, and so are you. So come on, let's praise God. You know what I'm saying? So... You got that, but then you got Moses. Moses goes up to Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let them go. And he said, you better let them go. And Pharaoh said, well, I'm not going to let them go. Moses had, comes with a stick, gets his big stick out, doesn't he? Big stick, gives Pharaoh a good whack. And Pharaoh goes, okay, you can go. 
Let my people go. Then you have Joshua. Imagine Joshua. <laughs> I mean, how many of us are like Joshua? You know, look at the sun. Like, Don't you move. Not an inch. No, nah, stay right there. Sun stands still. Bigger than life. Then you have Samson. You have Gideon. You have all of these people in the Bible, all these characters who are part of our story, by the way. These aren't just like little Bible stories or mythical stories. These are people who are part of our story, praise God. You know, part of our story. And then you have all these huge, larger-than-life people. And then you have this little book called Ruth. And it's a story about a woman. And she's not just a woman. She's a story about a woman who's a widow, but not just a widow, a widow who's poor. And she's not just a poor widow, but she's actually an outsider. She's a foreigner. You almost read this book and you look at this book and you tilt your head and you say, like, one of these things is not like the other one. What are you actually doing in this story? And this insignificant, unassuming, poor widow called Ruth, who is a foreigner, who is an outsider, somehow gets engrafted into God's redemptive story in such an intricate and such a profound way that somehow God uses her and gets involved in her life that that she actually gives birth to the lineage of Jesus, which we know will actually make way for the coming of of, of Jesus Christ, David into Jesus. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? That this God is so big as he's pushing forward this huge redemptive story. He looks at this poor little outsider woman named Ruth and says, I want to be so involved in your life and I want to be so interested in your life. I'm going to use your life to push forward this master story. That is incredible, isn't it? God is so big, but he's also so personal because he doesn't mind a little bit of mess getting in the way. Because we do, don't we? We do, don't we? An outsider. We all have social maps. There are some people, we may say, yeah, we, we're a Jesus church and all that, but let's be honest, we all have a social map and there are some people who make us really uncomfortable, right? But God's so big and so personal that he doesn't seem to be uncomfortable at all. And even in this story, God is true to form as you look at what he does through this little widow, Ruth, but she marries this guy called Boaz. But if you look at Boaz, Boaz marries this um, outsider eventually called Ruth. But Boaz has a bit of an interesting story as well. I mean, I imagine Boaz, the genealogy of Jesus, tells us who Boaz's mum is, you know, a woman called Rahab. And like, I would think like, as Boaz is growing up, his mates would come up to him and say, hey, Boaz, your mum's Rahab. What did she used to do for a living? What did she used to do? Um, Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, she kind of came from Jericho and in Jericho, there weren't many women there. And they like, for a living, she slept with men. She was a prostitute. Now, that makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? So Boaz, marrying this outsider, mother is Rahab. God seems to not have too much of a problem of engrafting people with a bit of mess and a bit of a story into his redemptive story. He's not intimidated with mess like we are. You know, throughout the Bible, he will use prostitutes, he uses murderers, he uses adulterers, he uses insiders, outsiders, drunkards. He even uses Australians. Did you know that? I don't necessarily agree with it, but he even uses Fremantle Dockers supporters somehow to actually engraft them into his story and to push his story forward. He does it. And Ruth reminds us of this. Because if God can use a nobody like Ruth, well, he wants to use, in our context, a somebody like you. Ruth chapter 2 is structured very interestingly, if you actually um, go and do some study. It's what we call a chiastic structure um, when we do exegesis, which is the interpretation of the Bible. And um, it's, it's kind of like the chapter funnels in to one solitary point and then it funnels out. It's like this chapter has a hinge on which it's kind of resting. Everything is pointing to one point. 
the hinge. So today I actually want to talk about that hinge. I want to allow the structure of Ruth chapter 2 to inform us as to what God is saying. It's a hinge. And I don't know about you, but whenever I think of hinges, I think of doors. I think of doors. I'm a very simple man. I think of doors. And what happens in this chapter is that there is this hinge which is identified and it actually opens up a door in Ruth's life. And the most interesting thing about this, it opens up a door in Ruth's life that she did not even know was there in the first place. She didn't even know it was there. But the hinge opened the door. And I think sometimes we, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm this charismatic Slash Pentecostal guy. If you don't know what that is, you are blessed, okay? You are blessed. If you know what that is, okay, you know what I'm saying. But, but you know, we, we pray for God, open doors and open this. And, and, and the funny thing is, we think that there are doors, and they may not be doors, but, but very often um, there are doors that we don't even know exist. And sometimes we focus so much on the door, and I really feel that this chapter is asking us to pay attention to the hinge. Because if you pay attention to the hinge, the door will just open anyway. And we may not know what it is. So let's talk about the door. Seeing I said that, <laughs> let's not focus on the door. Let's talk about the door. <laughs> the door is very interesting. It's very exciting. The door is called God's favor. God's favor. That's a great door. Anyone excited about God's favor? That's what it's... In fact, chapter 2 is all about favor. The reason I know it's all about favor is that that word favor is repeated over and over and over and over. And any time that like an author or writer is actually saying the same thing over and over and over, they're trying to get our attention, aren't they? They're underlining it, bolding it, exclamation mark. And like we could read through, I wonder what that chapter was about. And the author's going, what are you doing? It's about favor. Verse 2, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Verse 10, she bowed down, face to the ground. Why have I found such favor in your eyes? Verse 13, may I continue to find favor in your eyes. And for the rest of the chapter, the author is actually giving expression to what that favor is, that what she's talking about. Because it says that Ruth was treated in such an amazing way that she was invited to eat, she was invited to drink, that she was protected, she had bodyguards. You know, Boaz actually said, if you're going to stay in my freedom, you have freedom and security whilst you're in my field. Now, that's a really, that's a good sermon right there. There is security and freedom depending on which field you are. And you may say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but somehow we all trespass and we slip into other people's fields. And all of a sudden, we don't feel that freedom. We don't feel that security. Maybe you've just ventured into a different field and God's calling you back into his field where you're actually going to find freedom and security once again. That was actually, that was that was, when I listen to this podcast, I'm going to say, Dave, that was good preaching. <laughs> Ruth goes home to Naomi to show the food that came from this favor. And then she retells the story of finding favor. See, the favor of God is really amazing. It's incredible. Has anyone experienced the favor of God in their life? Would anyone like to experience the favor of God in their life? It's okay. We serve a risen Savior. You can actually be excited in church this morning. Did you know that? I want to experience and know the favor of God in my life. And you know what? There are sometimes I look at people, I look at lives, and, and I think to myself, how in the world did that happen to that person? Do you ever do that? How in the world did that happen? Like, what happened? It's, like, it's almost like that door came, it opened out of nowhere. You know, the person who didn't plan for it, didn't strategize for it, didn't even pray for it. And all of a sudden, a door opened. And as you look at that door in hindsight, it was like that door was always supposed to happen. It was almost supposed to be that way. Have you ever met someone like that? 
And let's be honest, there are doors that do open in your life and in my life. And I don't know how they opened. I've got to be honest. Because if I'm honest, I'm not smart enough, I'm not connected enough, nor am I good enough to have had that door of favor open in my life. Yet doors do open. And this chapter is about favor. It's about favor. It's about the goodness of God. It's about the character of God that opens doors in our life, even when we didn't realize that there was a door actually there. I really believe that there are some doors that are going to open in your life. Some really good doors. You know, and Elevate must be special because I have not brought this to Newsbury. <laughs> this chapter outlines two things that open this door of favor. Okay. Two things. Two things. The first thing, I'm calling it the invisible hand of God. That's the first thing. The invisible hand of God. The favor of God reminds us that God is working when we think he's sleeping. Have you ever thought to yourself, God, where are you right now? Seriously. If you're all knowing, what's up? You know, man, I'm good to go. Where you at? God's favor lets me know that he remains faithful in the times when I'm tripping out in unfaithful living. He still remains faithful. Aren't you happy about that? This whole thing starts with a guy called Abraham walking between, like, I don't know, there's some people in our society won't like it, but all these animals cutting two over there, making this covenant. And, and what's interesting about that is that God himself is the only one who walks past in between making that covenant. Abraham doesn't do. From the very beginning, God is saying, all of this, the whole lot, rests on my faithfulness, not your faithfulness. Aren't you glad in the times when you have to pick yourself up or when the Holy Spirit comes and, and taps you on the shoulder and says, you're tripping out right now, that you can actually go back to the Lord and say, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I am coming back. I'm so sorry I trespassed and went to the wrong field. I'm coming back into you. Aren't you so glad that this rests on his faithfulness and not our faithfulness? I'm so glad about that. And even right now, you might have been tripping out a little bit, and that's really resonating with you. And you even feel like you can't come before God, or you can't lift up holy hands before God, or you can't pray before God, you can't worship upon God. But you need to understand that this is not resting on you, this is resting on Him. And He remains faithful, even when we are faithless. But there's this thing, this idea of the invisible hand of God. From verse 2 we read, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up, um, the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Man, I love that. Any um, single women here or any women here? Man, I love Naomi. Naomi's this feisty woman. She's awesome. You know what she's saying right here? She understands that because she is an outsider, there is a limit to the, to the parameters of influence where she can actually venture into. So what she does, she says, I'm not going to actually accept the, the, the limitations that are, are afforded to me because I'm an outsider. I'm actually going to Naomi, and because of Naomi, I'm actually going to step over those limitations and those parameters. Because sometimes we think that we're so limited but it takes a feisty woman or man of God to say, I'm not actually going to forego that limitation. I'm going to step over that limitation. I wonder if you've got any limitations in your life, in your mind right now. And God's saying, maybe you need to start stepping over. Anyway, that's not part of the sermon. That's another sermon. Let's move on. <clears throat> Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. Go ahead. Wow. She went out, entered the field, began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working 
behind the field belonging to Boaz. The invisible hand of God. Um, has anyone been to Carousel after the big upgrade? That place is crazy now, isn't it? That place is nuts. And have you ever like seen people with their prams or their trolleys? Man, there are some aggressive trolley pushers. Now, I go there with my kids. My kids are like um, five and seven. Okay, and we're over there, and, 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 and you know, I, I'm, I'm over six foot, so I can see what's coming. They can't, they're down here. So what I have to do when I actually go in carousel, I kind of guide them, you know. I, I, I kind of got my hand on Jackson's back, and I'm gone guiding him. But Jackson's a boy. Boys like stuff, like lights and lollies and toys. So, so Jackson's in carousel, and he's looking there, he's looking there, looking there, looking there. What I've found is I have to take my hand at times, and I need to place it on his hand head. Any other parent do this or is this like a dysfunctional Anglo-Indian kind of thing, right? Place it on his head and kind of maneuver him around because I know there's some crazy woman with a trolley right now who's going to knock you out um, over there and if you don't actually have a hand on you guiding you, this is not going to be good. You understand what I'm saying? Interestingly enough, I have never had my children thank me for the guiding hand of their father on their life. Not once. I tell you this much though, they pay very close attention when my hand goes into my wallet and actually comes out. They love it when they actually see that. And you know what? I actually want them to know that there are certain things in life that I can get them that they cannot get themselves. I want them to know that. But not once have they thanked me. Dad, thank you so much for your hand on my head. They kept me from getting a broken leg, you know, as we're going through carousel. They've never acknowledged that. And you know what? I reckon we're a little bit the same. We're a little bit the same, aren't we? Because we deploy all kinds of things all the time. Spiritual disciplines, pray, we fast. Sometimes we give in order to get, to receive, instead of giving because, you know, what? Well, my Heavenly Father is generous and I'm a chip off the old block, so I'm going to be like Him. I'm just going to be generous. Sometimes we actually miss the point and we actually get a perverted or twisted motive and we say, I need to give so I can actually get something. And we, we, we do all sorts of things. And the reason why we do that is because God has shown in history and also in our own lives that there are certain things that only He can do which we cannot do. Things like healing, things like deliverance, like coming and mending and, and bringing reconciliation and restoration. There are things that only He can do which we can't do. So we want to see His hand, don't we? We want to see His visible hand. But how many times have we actually thanked God for His invisible hand? How many times? Verse 3 says, she went out, entered the field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. As it turned out, as it turned out, that's a little bit of humor chucked in there. We, we, we can't read the original language, so it's not funny to us, but it's like a little bit of humor. It's like, as it turned out, these fields, Bethlehem's a city, these fields are out. And the fields aren't like fields we have now. The fields are, are marked by stones. You know, there are all these, there's this huge plot of land to grow and stuff, and there's just stones. As it turned out, Naomi just happened to go to Boaz's field. How did this connection happen between Ruth and Boaz? Well, this book actually tells us God set it up. God set it up. God set it up. Ruth is telling us that there are ordained setups that happen a lot more than what we would dare think or acknowledge. I remember the day when this young lady stepped into um, our office. We were working at Riverview, and, and she came in. She wanted to volunteer. 
And I loved everything about this girl. This girl was great. She was gorgeous. She carried herself with dignity. She was intelligent. She had such compassion and, and, and everything. There was one thing I didn't like about this girl, though. One thing. I didn't like her last name. No. So we decided to change it. So on the 5th of May, 2007, Andrea Ballantyne became Andrea Ryder. Now, you may say, oh, what a coincidence that she, she just happened to walk through the door that day. You may call things coincidences in your life. I call it providence. It lets me know that God is far more involved in my life and far more involved in your life than times that we give him credit for. Because I want to jump up and down. I want to praise God for the visible hand of God. But there are so many times, so many more times, when he has kind of got his hand on our head and we're walking through this, this incredible, crazy place called life carousel, and, and, and we don't even know, but there's this crazy woman with a trolley about to come and knock us out, or, 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 or there's someone else who's about to come and just like, and he has got our, his head, his hand on our head, and he is guiding us, and he is moving us. We're so familiar with the sentiment, oh, what a coincidence, oh, what a small world, I can't believe it, you were on the exact same train that I was as we were going up, that is incredible, what a coincidence. Coincidence? Yeah, coincidence, maybe. More probable? Providence. More probable. The invisible hand of God. And as we acknowledge this, as we give thanks to this, we recognize God is more in control in our life than what we give Him credit for. As we give thanks for that. As we give thanks. Lou was talking about this morning just coming to the throne room of God and entering boldly in the throne room of God. You know what Scripture says? Scripture says, as I was just reminded of a good old song as I was growing up, you know, enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. Enter his courts with praise. How do we enter into the presence of God? Through thanksgiving, through praise. The more aware, the more we acknowledge, God, your invisible hand is in this. You're doing stuff when I... You're doing stuff, and I'm going to thank you for that. We come into the presence of God. Isn't that incredible? I didn't get the job. Well, I'm going to thank God anyway. You come up and you say, man, God. I mean, you, you know, a young fellow comes to God and says, God, mm, mm-mm. she look good. God, she, she's fine. And you know, in my heart, I want to make her mine, you know. And you go up to her and you ask her out, and guess what? She says, no, <laughs> because she can, by the way. <laughs> People do have a choice. When in places of rejection and disappointment, I'm going to praise God, because even in those moments, I believe that he is guiding my life. And if he didn't open up that door, he must be guiding me to something else. I may be getting disappointed. God's just guiding me. So that's the first thing, the invisible hand of God. There's not too much we can do about that. That's, just, that's God's business, right? All we can do is just praise God, love God, and just enjoy the journey. Second bit is the hinge. And this is where this chapter actually comes down to. The hinge is actually a question and the answer to the question, which is found in verse 10. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked, why have I found such favor in your eyes, that you notice me, a foreigner. If you break down the chapter, it actually breaks down to verse 10 and verse 11. This final, if you want to go and do some study. 
And the answer to the question is the hinge. And like I said before, it appears that we can't do too much about the doors opening and closing in our life, but we can actually do quite a bit when it comes to the hinge. So Boaz replied in verse 11, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you do not know. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. I've been told about what you've done, Ruth. So Ruth asked the question, what have I done to find such favor? And Boaz lets her know. I've been told of your faithfulness. Faithfulness is the hinge that opens doors that you didn't even know were there. It is faithfulness. Faithfulness is a big deal. We don't weigh faithfulness as a society. Jesus does. He really does. Faithfulness. Nothing glamorous. Nothing sexy about it. Day in, day out, living right before God. Day in, day out. Nothing glamorous about that. (laughs) Honouring God. Looking after the vulnerable. Giving when you don't have anything to give. Faithfulness. And I think faithfulness sometimes is a bit of a lost art in this world. world. And, And possibly it's a word that's a little bit insipid in our vocabulary when I say, oh, we're just faithful. How how, how do all these things happen in your life, Dave? I'm just faithful. Seems a little bit weak, a little bit insipid. Um, Leading up into the um, 500th anniversary of the Reformation, um, there was this book by Matthew um, W. Bates, and he wanted to stir the pot a little bit and actually wanted to actually um, probably strengthen this whole idea of faithfulness. And he wrote this book, um, which was called Salvation by Allegiance Alone. Because faithfulness is a little bit insipid, isn't it? Allegiance, that's a bit of a stronger word. In fact, that's a bit of a word that possibly makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Salvation by allegiance alone. Tom Wright himself, he would use the word faithfulness. And um, if you know, if you do any study in the New Testament, um, the Apostle Paul uses this word over and over again. It's called pistis in the original, but it's actually the faithfulness, being faithful, remaining. You started well, but keep on going. Keep on going to the end. You know, I poured, I poured, I poured, I've been poured out. Um, What are the words we can't wait to hear from Jesus? Well done, good and faithful. Faithful. Faithful servant. Because Jesus weighs things a lot differently. You know, we find in the book of Acts, Judas, he betrays Jesus and he hangs himself. And um, the apostles, they discover in Scripture they need to look for someone else to take Judas's place. It's really interesting, the criteria. They actually say in Acts chapter 1, Therefore it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. From the beginning, from John's baptism to the end when Jesus was taken from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They're looking for someone to replace Judas. What's their criteria? Faithfulness. Been there from the beginning to the end. And there were a lot who left. 
There's one place in the Gospels, if you remember, I think it's in, John chapter, in John's Gospel, and Jesus says something really controversial, and it says that he had disciples, but he also had a crowd that followed him. And the disciples weren't just 12, there's like more than that. So he says something really controversial, and the disciples left. It wasn't the crowd left, the disciples left. So after the disciples left, Jesus looks to the 12 and says, well, are you going to go as well? Crazy. And Peter says, like, where will we go? You have the words of life. But it's faithfulness, remaining, staying true, um, staying with the Lord. Because I've discovered in my own life, and unless you guys are cyborgs, I'm assuming that you have the same thing too, that in life, faithfulness gets eroded. Doesn't it? I'm a pastor of a church, and my faithfulness gets eroded. I've got to be honest. Disappointments come. Oh, man, they hit you. Betrayal comes. Oh, that one hurts, doesn't it? There are times when it really does hit the, it hits the ceiling, doesn't it? You know, it really does. It really does. Expectations aren't met. And that hinge gets eroded. It gets eroded. So this morning, I'm just praying that as we focus on that hinge, there might be some things in your life and you need to come before God and I need to come before God and say, okay, God, that really hurt. That really sucked. I have no idea where you were right there. I have no idea why I didn't get this or she didn't say that. But I am believing in the midst of my disappointment that there is your invisible hand and that you are leading and that you are guiding. And I'm going to thank you not for your visible hand, which I have not seen. I'm going to thank you for your invisible hand, which I trust and believe is guiding and moving me. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to recommit again. My allegiance is to you. I am committing my heart once again to Jesus, my King, to the Lordship of Christ. I am no longer going to have a DIY faith where I take this and I take that, but I leave that behind. I am actually going to bring everything under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if nothing else may be said of my life, he was faithful. She was faithful. Because faithfulness is the hinge that opens doors. I've gone too long, I need to pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I ask that even in this moment that you would draw close in your beautiful, beautiful, gentle way, God that you would identify those parts where our faithfulness has eroded. And I ask that you would just gently but intentionally oil that hinge. Oil that hinge. Oil that hinge. That place of bitterness that's eroded faithfulness. Holy Spirit, come and bring healing that place of disappointment, that place of anxiety, bring comfort. Draw near. Your word declares, it says that you are near to the brokenhearted. Those of us who have broken hearts, be near, be near, be near. For those of us who have been praying and fasting for doors to open, it's not far off. It's not far off. I pray that you would open many doors, God. The doors that we didn't even know were there, doors that we cannot open. 
We ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you. That was 